the Ulysses Neuroscience Podcast. In this episode commemorating Black History Month in the US, Alitha and Ross speak with Dr. Emmanuel Darqua, startup founder, lecturer and researcher at Trinity College Dublin, and Gladys Atano at Senekai, an award-winning events host, comedian and mental health advocate. Hi, I'm Olaito Jeremiah, and I'm a junior scientist at Ulysses Neuroscience in Trinity College, Dublin, and Munich University. I'll be your host for this podcast alongside my colleague, Ross Augusby. Black History Month, also known as African-American History Month in the U.S., where it originated from, is an annual observance to remember important people and events in the history of the African diaspora. It is officially recognized by the governments of U.S., Canada, Ireland, and the U.K., it is celebrated in February in the US and Canada, while in Ireland and UK it's celebrated in October. Now let's go over a little history of Black History Month across countries, starting with the United States. Black History Month was birthed from Negro History Week, which was created in 1926 by Carter J. Woodson, an African-American historian, author, journalist, and founder of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. The second week of February was chosen for the celebration because it coincided with the birthdays of two key people in the history of the Black Stars, Abraham Lincoln, born on the 12th of February, and Frederick Douglass, born on the 14th of February. The first Black History Month was celebrated in Kent from the 2nd of January to 28th of February, 1970. It became recognized and celebrated across the U.S. in 1976 with Kataji Woodson, now being called the father of Black History Month. Kata Woodson was one of the first scholars to study the history of the African diaspora and remains the only person whose parents were enslaved in the U.S. to obtain a PhD in history. United Kingdom. In the U.K., Black History Month was first celebrated in London in October 1987 as part of African Jubilee Year to mark the contributions of Black people throughout history. For Germany, in 1990, members of the German community in Berlin started observing Black History Month and the celebration soon spread across German cities. Celebration programs have included international African perspectives, discussions of Black Europeans, history of civil rights in the US and apartheid in South Africa. Canada. In 1995, February became officially recognized as Black History Month by Canada's House of Commons, with Black Canadians being honored that year. In 2008, the recognition of Black History Month and its celebration in February was unanimously approved by the Senate as a means of celebrating the achievements and positive contributions of Black Canadians. Now to the Republic of Ireland. In Ireland, the celebration of the Black History Month started in Cork in 2010. Incidentally, Cork was also a leading hub of the abolition campaign in the 19th century. According to the 2016 population census, 39,834 people identify as Black or Black Irish with an African background, whereas 2,863 people claim to have descended from any other Black background. Black History Month gives non-people of color the opportunity to learn history from a different perspective, perhaps a perspective that was never taught in school. Over to yours. Thank you, Lighten. Uh, so today we have two members of the Black African, Black Irish community. We have Dr. Emmanuel Darqua and Ms. Gladys Atono at Senokai with us. Emmanuel is an experienced startup founder, lecturer and researcher at Trinity College Dublin. His research interests lie in innovation models, entrepreneurship, innovation management and innovation ecosystems. 
He holds a PhD in Innovation Management and Ecosystem from Trinity College Dublin, with a particular focus on humanitarian and development sectors. Emmanuel has worked as an innovation consultant, program coordinator and workshop facilitator for these sectors. Emmanuel is also the founder of the International Humanitarian Innovation Academy, which is an initiative with the mission to help international and local students gain understanding, acquire knowledge and develop skills for innovation and entrepreneurship in a culturally diverse world. Gladys Atono at Senekai, best known as MC Shakara, is an award-winning events host and comedian extraordinaire. As a stand-up comic, Gladys has featured in comedy events with renowned Nigerian comedians both locally and internationally. Beyond the humour, Gladys is a mental health advocate who uses comedy to promote positive mental well-being through entertainment. Her superpowers lie in her ability to find humour in every situation and weaving laughable yet teachable moments from her life experiences. Gladys believes laughter awakens the soul and ventilates the spirit. She also holds a graduate certificate in autism studies and in 2022 won the Shiro's Global Founders Award for using her platform Navigating Autism to help families of autistic individuals and their caregivers understand and navigate autism using simple strategies and her experience. So welcome both. Um, we'll start with Emmanuel. So Emmanuel, uh, were you born in Ireland? And if not, how did you become a resident here? Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate that. Um, so I wasn't born in Ireland. I, um, um, I, I came to Ireland a couple of years ago, um, a bit over a decade ago. I, I came from Germany, um, where I basically grew up um, and had my primary education and um, secondary as well as um, basically um, my initial tertiary education. Um, I moved to Ireland. I was get, I was headhunted um, and brought here to 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 do some work. Um, I went back to academia, which had always been the plan. After a couple of years of working in industry, um, I completed my PhD, as you rightly said, here in Trinity College, and um, have remained ever since. And Gladys, uh, were you born in Ireland, and how long have you been living in Ireland? Um, I wasn't born in Ireland, and I've been living in um, Ireland since um, over 16, 17 years. I've, I've lost count now because I'm practically part of the brick and furniture of Ireland at the moment. Um uh, I moved into Ireland in 20, 2006. Um, I wasn't headhunted. I found my way to the land of the Celtic tiger, a beautiful place that I call home now, that is um, open, welcoming, um, a place, a good place for me to raise a family. So it's been an interesting journey. Um, it's It's been beautiful. You know, my journey into Ireland professionally, socially, as a family has been interesting. It's been a beautiful journey. Thank you very much, But So, Emmanuel, could you please tell us what it's like to be Black in Ireland? Um, very interesting question. Um, I guess um, it's, been, um, it's been, depending on where I have been working, it's always been a different experience. Um, initially headhunted and brought in here because of my expertise. Um, the engagement was very much based on, on, on having me come and being able to deliver what I've been trained to do. So I have an architectural and urban planning background. Um, I was brought to Ireland at a time where you would say um, the construction business in Ireland was booming. And Gladys has referred to the Celtic Tiger years. Now, um, very, very characteristic of this time 
was there was a lot of construction work being done. Um, and I had, you know, basically had some pretty good education in Germany, particularly um, with regards to modular systems of building. Uh, and that was essentially the reason why I was brought here to support the development design and development of, of uh, modular housing. Um, as you know, as Ireland grew, there was a, a serious need for, for, um, for um, you know, for buildings and for um, residential buildings that would house all the people who were moving to Ireland. And, and so um, I was headhunted um, as, a, as, a, as a, basically as a result of my expertise. Um, now working here, um, was now a different issue. Um, you know, I guess that um, the most telling um, of this time working in industry and working in um, what would rather be a remote part of Ireland was um, um, being exposed to what I now see as inquisitiveness of the Irish. Um, they really wanted to know who I was. They really hadn't had much exposure to to let me use borrow the word um, my kind. Um, it, it was in the county Monaghan. Um, for anyone who knows um, Ireland pretty well, it's in the it's basically on the borders to to the northern to the north. Um, you know, and um, they they hadn't engaged very much with people of my kind. So um, the initial engagements with people was was very much based on people wanting to get to know me. Uh, know me also as a black person who had moved to live in Ireland um, and also having potentially for them a very interesting background in growing up in Germany that for many was seen as a country full of racists uh, because of their past history uh, and so people were wanting to actually um, hear hear the story of me growing up um, in, in, in Germany before I came so um, that phase was essentially very much one of, 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 of you know, people actually um, wanting to get to know you, having loads of questions and, and, and actually being pleased that you gave them the opportunity to ask the questions that they probably um, were really much wanting to, to ask but never had the opportunity to do so. Um, so um, I very quickly connected with a lot of people, um, as I should say, um, and um, there's an interesting article about me in the Irish Times where I was um, claimed, I was supposed to have said that you never get invited to people's homes in Ireland. <laughs> and, um, and, and basically that got me into trouble because a lot of my friends did invite me to their homes and I used this opportunity to correct that mistake. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, but essentially, um, you then had, um, as I kind of rose through the ranks, um, I say I, I proceeded to say I had I had some very good training in Germany. I had been exposed to quite a lot um, during my time and my my education in Germany and my consequent um, training as an as an architect. Been exposed to quite a lot, so it was quite evidential. Um, um, that I was um, quite good at what I did. So I kind of, within three months, got the first promotion um, and basically um, began to, ha um, to have, you know, re responsibility over others. Um, if there was any, that probably I would say, um, that was probably the first time that I would have encountered some form of resistance. Um, resistance, um, which I'm not entirely sure 
had to do with um, any forms of racism. But the unusualness of the fact that, you know, um, there was somebody like me, um, Black, coming into the country and, you know, rising through the ranks that quickly was a bit discomforting for, for people. Um, with that comes, obviously, um, you know, um, as you go up the ladder, um, the air gets thinner <laughs> because, you know, you have fewer people um, in, in positions of authority. And, and with it comes also feelings of threat. Um, so whilst, you know, it did feel occasionally as, as being, um, as pointing to some form of racism, I would argue that um, um, at least it was influenced by insecurity. Um, people feeling insecure, um, you, had, you know, being coming from Germany, um, the exposure I had, bear in mind, I had, I had, I had spells in China and the UK, um, elsewhere before I came. Um, people felt, you know, people felt insecure. I would rather put it down to that than you know, some form of racism, um, because you never really can tell. Um, but that that was, you know, that was those were discomforting years. Um, and then I, I, you know, I with with time, you know, I would go to um, to sites to 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 do my work, and um, it was rather unfortunate that any any such experiences that would have been would had would have had racist connotations. Um, did rather or care uh, uh, on these sites where you know there were there was there were words derogatory words used and there were behaviors that um, I didn't think were appropriate um, and, and basically you know people took the liberties to to kind of use use some race race racial slurs but um, um generally as a uh, after that, um, going back into academia, I was very much welcomed um, into academia. I, I was very much welcomed to, into doing what I mean to do what Trinity has been for me. Um, um, you know, uh, incredibly favorable. Um, I, I have, uh, in my, you know, I know others have others have different stories to tell. But my story is that I, it's been welcoming. Um, I have had, have been given the equal opportunities. Um, certainly, um, you would have one or the other challenge. And that's, that's just part of it. Um, but nothing, nothing dramatic that I would say, um, you know, would be categorized or put into the category of very negative um, forms of racism um, uh, as compared to, to the racism I would have experienced in Germany. So. Um, I would, I would, I would, I would argue that um, in terms of experience as a black person, it has been, it has been very positive, um, to say the least, or at least it has been positive. Um, you know, you contend with, with ignorance, and and that is, in my understanding, um, a problem that um, I'd say minorities face. Um, is very much embedded in ignorance. It's very much embedded in the lack of education um, and accepting accepting general knowledge that is sometimes not um, 
not um, not right. So um, I just say all that to say um, a lot of what I do today in educating people and getting myself involved in Black studies education has to do with enlightening people. Um, and as people get enlightened, um, they, they make the choice. They usually tend to make the right choices. Thank you so much, Amanda. You've already covered the question that was going to come after that. I, well, I was going to ask you about academia, so that's fine. So Gladys, um, could you also tell us what it's like to be Black in Ireland in general and also as a mental health advocate and a parent of an autistic child? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for that question. I would say my transition into Ireland has been seamless as an African Black person in Ireland, I've never really noticed a difference, probably because of my personality and the, um, I'm not in the academia, I come in from the comedy aspects of social life, you know, so, and that people tend to be able to relate with humor very well. So that has been my inroad kind of being able to make um not make a light of situation, but being able to see teachable moments and using humor as a gateway into different aspects of life. So I'm able to connect with a lot of people, you know, using humor. So many times when I encounter people, what they see is an enigma. Where is she coming from? Who is this girl? And I'm able to connect with the Irish audiences. I'm able to connect with different audiences because of my personality, because of my skill set. I have a background in broadcast journalism, in TV. So I'm able to relate with audiences. And having a sense of humor makes it easier for people to relate to me, you know, to for me to relate with people and for people to relate with me as well. And as a mental health advocate, what I do, I use my life experiences, you know, to my life experiences drive my passion. Everything I do, my life, you know, stems from one aspect of my life. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a mental health, health advocate because of my experience with depression. And I noticed that in African communities, we are not too open about um, depression and mental health issue, which would not have been unlike the uh, Irish um, in the past. You know, there's a shroud of silence. It's not something a lot of people will talk about. And when I started talking about mental health, I was it, was, it came as a shock because it's something people don't talk about, particularly in the community where I come from. It, there's a shroud of silence it's not something you're proud of, you know, that people are proud of. So when I started opening up the discourse around this, it came as a shock. Then I realized that I was connecting with people, both the Irish and other communities, with my story. And that's the importance of telling our stories, that you're not different from me. I'm not different from you. We experience the same things. And having this common issue to talk about, I decided to use um, comedy, to teach about mental health and how to deal with mental health issue. That does not undermine the, uh, the importance of, or yeah, the significance of um, your mental health, the importance of it and the seriousness of mental health. You know, I use humor without undermining the topic. You know, it's just using finding teachable moments to connect with your audiences. We're all one and the same, going through the same challenges, and we're one and the same in need of help. 
you know, and I was able to tie that to um, my challenges, rather my experience as a parent to an autistic individual. One thing that kind of um, I, I very much appreciate um, that um, Gladys spoke about is is the fact that it is important um, it's important to to have to have the the, um, the the right character the right mindset and approach to things um, and I guess, I guess I say that primarily because there there is always the challenge and I think that's why I'm quite strong on on bias, bias or being you know kind of um, having preconceived ideas in in academic research, you know, we we talk a lot about not going into research with any form of bias. Okay, it's about you know you know um, presenting other people's voices, <laughs> to say the least. But it's about it's about being go, going in there open minded, and 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 not with preconceived um, notions. And, and I think that very often than not, we fall prey to preconceived notions and understandings and experiences of other people and which we then eventually make ours and that kind of kind of um, um, stops us from being able to in a sense have our own experiences um, and so I tend to kind of advocate for for more open-mindedness and 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 sometimes being able to look at things from the perspective of other people um, Context always plays plays a role. Okay, uh, how people are brought up, the people, what people are exposed to, people's own own lived experiences um, shape the way they think. And sometimes it's about it's about adding to those lived experiences. It's about it's about giving them different perception perceptions and and experiences so that they can basically replace the uh, negative ones with good ones. Uh, and I've, I've experienced it many a time where, you know, I've engaged with people who have, you know, have conceived ideas about me uh, and in getting to know me, <laughs> um, things change. Um, but me, me being myself, as, as Gladys was saying, being herself, her, 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 you know, her character or, you know, the way she presents herself or, you know, her open-mindedness, um, her friendliness. Um, actually then um, kind of fosters a better interaction. And, and, says, and I, I guess Gladys will be able to continue on that note, but that is back, so. Thank you so much. Emmanuel just rightly said, it's being yourself. Being, so sometimes this comes as a shock because there is a narrative out there about what you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be. So um, I come countercultural. So being myself, I'm able to change the narrative of what they think that a Nigerian should be or an African could be and being able to share common issues that we all share these common issues together. And these are issues that touch on family. And I know that the Irish are key on family. You know, parenting, I've also realized that it's the same challenges I face as a parent to uh, uh, an autistic individual is the same challenge that an Irish person faces with an autistic individual. There's no difference or differentiation between us. We encounter the same challenges in accessing services. We encounter the same um, 
um, challenges in academic issues. So we have a common ground together and we have a common discussion, something common holds us together. And for me, being able to use my life experiences has been has helped me connect with my Irish audiences or my Irish family, the Irish communities and other communities um, that I've been privileged to interact with in my experience in Ireland. I think both of you kind of hit the nail on the head with certain words that you said, like Emmanuel, you mentioned insecurities. And I think that is deeply rooted in Irish culture, whether we're aware of it or not. And I think as a result, you see those actions and behaviours that you just described coming up through the ranks um, of people kind of being envious or jealous. Um, and I feel like it's kind of rooted in our insecurities. But I also feel like, Gladys, you are able to connect so well with us through humour because we respond very well to humour. I feel like we don't like to have the difficult conversations. As you said, we kind of keep a lot of things bottled up. You've probably heard the Irish expression, oh, I'm grand. A lot of the time people aren't grand, but grand is thrown about <laughs> to describe all sorts of feelings. And I feel like when you use something like humour, we're able to really connect and kind of have difficult conversations with a light tone. And the important thing, as you said, is having the conversations, whether it be, and you're not kind of uh, making them seem any less insignificant because there's humour attached, it's important to have these conversations. So I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there with that. Um, do you both think, so I suppose I'll start with Emmanuel, do you think there are any kind of common misconceptions about people of colour in Ireland or across Europe in general that you've kind of encountered or you feel like are very prevalent? So um, being, being an academic, I would, I'm going to share a document that essentially um, you could ask people to read. It's, um, it's a journal article um, written by um, a colleague. Um, and in answering that, I'd probably just post it there. It's quite interesting because um, um, it talks about um, Africans are not black. Why the use of the term black for Africans should be abandoned. <laughs> Okay, now, um, and it's, it, I'm sure you, you, would, you would also enjoy reading it. Um, it's by a gentleman called um, Kwesi um, from UCD. Um, now, in, in trying to answer the question, um, there are connotations associated with blackness or with being African or with the word black. Um, this this particular article would do that's quite a, a good job at, at presenting the case on that. Um, consequently, and without wanting to um, uh, to go into into the into this this article, um, but consequent to the different understandings that are associated with black blackness, African, um, you find you find that. Um, and by virtue of these associations, um, a lot of our, rea our reactions or our interactions um, to, to people um, is, is trying to actually debunk these perceptions of who a black person is. So if we are very, very honest with ourselves, 
we all have some understandings or some perceptions that kind of um, shroud our, our, our judgment. Um, we are told, you know, they are like that, okay? So a black person is described in, in ontological ways um, and, and described in certain ways, right? Um, or an African is associated with certain other descriptive words. And so um, when you kind of move out of potentially wherever you are, you move into a new space, you are always going to be contending with perceptions that or perception that exists before you even arrived okay so um it's one you need to be aware of that a lot of those perceptions i believe are not grounded um are not grounded necessarily in in, in you know in in negativity they are basically um um you know adopted through education, through the media, through um, all kinds of ways of, of, um, of acquiring knowledge, whatever that knowledge might be. Uh, and so we are, we are actually contending in most cases as black people, contending against pre-existing understandings, okay? That have basically been there for years, okay? I was confounded when I, I read in the Bible that there was there was racism in the Bible, and that basically basically um, Moses gets married to an Ethiopian lady, and his brother and his um, and his sister don't accept that lady. Now I don't know when the Bible was written the first time, but when we talk about Moses, I I, I associated with you know at least six thousand years ago. <laughs> Okay. Um, and, and there was, there, you know, there was an understanding that Ethiopians were, you know, probably not next, at least in this particular case, she wasn't good enough for Moses. So, I mean, if we're talking about 6,000 years ago, forms of uh, understandings that led to looking down on one or the other race, then we are dealing with something that is, you know, um, not, has, has grown legs um, and, you know, and has been around for a long time. Um, and has been passed on. Um, and when you look into philosophical writings, even Aristotle, um, when you look at Shakespeare's books, Othello, I mean, all these people talk about, <laughs> about black and Ethiopians and black in negative terms. So, I mean, it is what we, 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 we today are having to deal with, with basically associations, understandings and all that, that are quite negative. And it's, it's incumbent on us um, to try and see those of us who live today to try and, 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 and repair that, that mistake. Uh, and, you know, we can, and in my humble opinion, we can contribute to debunking those ideas by being ourselves and presenting ourselves as who we are um, for people to make informed um, decisions as to whether their perceptions are right or wrong. Um, certainly there is a place for or engagement, uh, certainly there's a place for getting angry and being revolutionary, probably, <laughs> to, to knock sense into people's heads. Uh, I don't have a for that, but you know what I mean? You, you know, sometimes it's about, you know, standing up to, to the uh, standing up to the wrong. Um, but essentially, I think it, it's important to realize um, that it requires, to some degree, understanding what we are up against. Um, you know, and developing the knowledge, the know-how um, to be able to address those things. 
And, you know, um, there are numerous ways of doing it. I have chosen to go into the academic space and to present myself as an academic and, and to, to, to contribute to that um, and to contribute to educating people and exposing them to things they wouldn't have known of or known about um, and getting them to make that informed decision by providing them with the information. And Gladys, do you think there's any common misconceptions or anything you'd like to add to um, what Emmanuel just spoke about there? Emmanuel has brilliantly summed up the response to that question. And I, I love the fact, I love how he mentioned that this has been ongoing for gazillion years. And that means that change will not happen instantly. And there are many ways that we can change that resp- uh, the narrative now. And uh, that's why um, this change can happen in different spheres of life. He's doing it through the academia. I'm doing it in, uh, through communication, through the media, you know, changing narrative. I love what the Africa Center, which is an organization in uh, Dublin, which there was a time they had this tagline, Africa also smiles. Because the narrative that I've been coming from Africa is that, is that child that is crying and hungry. And I think these things feed into the narrative that people have about Africa, that um, uh, this high level of poverty. Yes, we know there are high level of poverty and all that, but it is not, that is not what Africa has to offer alone. There is beauty, there is tourism. We have um, um, people that are doing very well in their chosen field of endeavor. You know, we have those and people are pushing the narrative in the sports, in politics, even in Ireland, we're seeing a more um, inclusive and diverse, you know, um, plethora of people in politics today, pushing that narrative, trying to change the previous narrative, that uh, misconception about Africa previously. So these things will happen if there is an intentional drive, you know, to make the change like people are doing in their uh, various fields. And changing the discourse in the media, you know, not just presenting one side. There is a TV station in Nigeria that I know, Africa Independent Television, and the purpose of this television is to show the perception about Africa from an African perspective. That is why it is very important for us to tell our own stories. It is, it's going to be one powerful tool of changing the perception about Africa when we get to tell our own, share our own experience from our own perspective, not from a third party interpretation of who we are or what we're supposed to be. You know, so I believe that it's change can happen when it is intentional and um, and there is a method to it, you know, like um, Emmanuel rightly outlined all these various, you know, uh, many ways that this can happen, which is what we're seeing in, in the international news and other countries in a, in a way, you know, in a bid to change that discourse, to change that narrative about the perception of the um, experience of the, African, Black African, if I may say, yeah. Can I just uh, add to that? And, and, and this is, I, I'm speaking to my, my fellow Black people when I talk about this. So one of my favorite um, writers, I'm gonna put her stuff here as again, if you don't mind. Um, but um, for those of you, I'm sure my, my Nigerian friends know, now, this is, a, I, I, I recommend it. 
and because um, she makes a very, very valid point. And I think that that as to what Gladys was saying there, um, you, you can't look at things um, through the lens of a single narrative, okay? Um, you can't, you can't, um, I would, you know, go as far as saying you can't live your life based on a single narrative. So um, your understanding of, of people, um, you know, should, should, should at least consider um, an additional story, not just a single story. Okay, but but in terms of in terms of that, and as 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 well as Shimamanda does in pointing to that fact, um, the danger of a single story, um, and it does have, in my view, it does have you know the emphasis on how you know our fellow white people see black people. I would also want to now. Um, suggest that it sometimes is how we black people see white people. That also is a single story. So you talk to people who have experienced some form of racism um, um, and they then generalize, <laughs> okay? Um, oh, I experienced it. And so all Irish are basically racist, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, and then they go around with a chip on the shoulder and try to kind of, um, you know, point to, to all the misdeeds of, 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 of Irish people based on a single story, okay? Sometimes you get people reacting um, on the basis of something that happened in America, okay? We, you know, we know that, you know, the story with all due respect um, to, to what happened in the States and, and the consequence um, that's led to the Black Lives Matter movement. I would contend that the, that context plays a role. And if context that play a role, um, I'll be very careful to superimpose what happens in America into Ireland. That is certainly um, in, in all, with all humility and respect to anyone who is associated with that movement. I feel that sometimes there is a danger, just as Chimamanda warns us, a danger um, of kind of focusing uh, on, on a single story. Um, the experiences of black Irish is certainly a lot different to the experiences of Black Americans. If that is true, and if it's historically, for even looking at it from, from history, uh, the arrival of Black people uh, and, uh, into Ireland um, has been completely different in, in terms of story to those of the Americans, or the Black Americans. Um, that alone, uh, I would say, um, uh, is enough reason to to um, to think about context and to think about um, whether a superimposing of of what has happened there or what happens there in our context is appropriate. Uh, I, I beg to differ. Um, I am not. I haven't researched it. I haven't. I don't consider myself an expert, but just from uh, a standpoint of simple logic, I would say. Um, the experiences are different. We came, some of us came here um, quite willingly. <laughs> um, some of us have chosen to make Ireland our home um, for various reasons. Um, we, 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 we weren't forced to make here home. We made it our home. There was, there was an element of choice uh, and we, we, you, know, um, you know, our experiences are different. 
um, generalistic views, I beg, um, need to be kind of reconsidered. Um, there is a big danger of, of a single story. Thank you very much, Emmanuel, for that. Yeah, and Gladys as well. So I think you both already covered the question I was going to ask next, but maybe I will still ask a part of it because I was going to ask if there's a stigma attached to being Black as well and that does your color impact your social circle. So ladies first. Absolutely <laughs> like, not and Gladys first and then I'm after fluid. that. I'm so fluid in my interaction. Um, I've never experienced the barriers that um, other people may, you know, and I've heard people experience. Um, I've never had that encounter. You know, my, I've, I've, I, I don't see color. I've never experienced color. I hosted an event um, sometime in November, in December, that was a purely Irish audience. And I did stand up comedy for close to two hours and they were all reeling. I was, you understand? They were all reeling with somewhere with shock. It was in Waterford. They were shocked. That, where did she come from? How did this happen? You understand? I'm able to access spaces. I just don't see it. I make friends with everybody. I make friends with everybody. I'm the one person that will go to the shop. I remember this one. I was at the shop and there was a guy in front of me and I noticed that the loto for that day was like 150 million. The guy is not my friend, I don't know him. I just tapped his shoulder and I said, no, I'm not talked to his shoulder, I just got his attention. I said, what will you do if you win 150 million? And the guy started thinking. And we had a good laugh and a good conversation and he left that place buying the lotto for that day. And while he was going, I did him like this. I'm watching, I know where you live. So when you win, yeah. So when you win the 150 million, I, I know where to find you. So I have conversations with people. I look for a connection. You know, there's always a way to connect with people. It could start with a smile. And, and the Irish make it so easy. Start with conversation about the weather. That alone will, you know, yeah, you know, that opens up conversation. For a woman, or I could compliment your look. You know, so when I hear some, for me, I say that I find it so easy making friends across communities. And that's because I don't even see communities. I just see people. So my color has never come up in discussions at any point. People don't, I don't see myself like there's a perception around uh, maybe access to opportunities. If I try to access opportunities, I don't, and I don't get it. I believe I don't color up whatever is going on. I believe that I didn't get it because of A, B, C, D, and I never use um, race as an excuse. It's my thinking. I try to, you know, some people I say it's because of my nature, because of my, I try to see the good in people. And another thing that I've considered, I might not have an overt definition of what racism is. I might not have experienced overt, you know, racist behavior. That's because I don't have a definition of it. I might have experienced subtle racism without knowing that that was racism and probably overlooked it as somebody having a very bad day. And it could be that that person was being acting discriminatory towards me, but I don't see it like that. So I've never really had um, issues, barriers or access to service or people or 
uh, situations or anything because of my color. I've never, I've never, I don't even think in colors. Thank you very much. In fairness, like I always kind of relate with everyone to like white, black, like just like you, color does not really like make any difference to me. So now, Emmanuel, your turn. Yeah, that, that, this is a quite a very difficult one. Um, and I was just thinking as, um, as Gladys was speaking there, that I guess our probably our approaches would be quite similar. Um, in, in, you know, consequently, um, we, we're not, we probably would, our contributions are going to very, very much align um, to each other. Um, however, um, it would be really nice to have had uh, opposing views. <laughs> So that we could we could really have a bit of a. I was open so too. <laughs> what it is, Emmanuel. So I, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, and so uh, what, what I, I beg now, Ross and like I beg now to to be the devil's advocate and try to be the opposing. <laughs> now I, I I a couple of things. Uh, um, so it would it would it would seem to me that um, both Gladys and I. Um, would have had um, some kind of a background that would have ensured that we are quite, um, how do I put it, quite capable or able to engage in relationships in terms of we, we don't shy away from, from the unknown. We are not you know, maybe timid or quiet, we're not introverts and all that. Um, and so kind of, you know, it's, we, you know, we, we're kind of solid in the sense that we don't get, you know, I have been accused of not even noticing racism. My colleagues in work would have said to me, did you not hear that? I said, what did you, wait, what? Oh, did you hear what they said? I said, no, what did they say? <laughs> like, oh my God, Imano, why, why are your ears? You don't seem to hear all these uh, racist slurs and I'm going like really I, I don't know and I, I honestly don't know it's not I, I'm not pretending I really didn't hear it I didn't see it I didn't notice it I didn't so there seems to be and you know um, something about my perception in life or my way of going about things or my behavior that does not permit or allow me or doesn't kind of support me seeing certain things or or maybe you could say overlooking certain things, but I'm not actually overlooking because I actually sometimes um, don't see it. I mean, it has to be glaring um, for me to kind of react to it. Um, so that's one. Um, but I'm conscious that our audience um, would be people who potentially um, um, have a different background, probably born here, growing up here, um, living in a country um, with 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 African parents and growing up in an entirely European setting, now that that poses all kinds of challenges. Um, as anybody would know, you know, the age age differences, and some of us are you know uh, a bit older, and we grew up completely different to how kids are growing up today. The exposure to to information is completely different. Um, the the attacks on, on personality are also completely different. I, I I would I would contend that a lot of the younger generation of Black Irish um, contend with a lot more um, than we uh, adults would. Um, and so um, I'm very of, con you know, conscious of that and, and would be saying, yes, um, you know, um, generally speaking, there are, there are experiences 
um, that you would face within Ireland that do actually border on racism, that to do border on basically making people feel bad because of their skin color and, and, and make them also want to react to, to that. Um, uh, but on the whole, um, my experiences have been quite positive. I have had the one or the other stupid statement made that I've heard or I was told of. Um, I am aware that you would have you know, people who are totally ignorant and people who are, for whatever reason, okay, either they have been influenced by the history they have learned, they have been influenced by the media, um, or potentially also are just insecure and feel threatened and, and basically, um, you know, kind of depict that threat that they feel um, in, in trying, to, trying to be aggressive and to, to belittle, belittle others. That is human, human nature. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is that uh, our lived experiences could very likely be similar, myself and Gladys. It would represent um, the, this nature of being able to engage with everybody and be, be you know, kind of friendly with everybody and getting along with everybody and not, you know, actually entertaining negative, um, you know, negative statements and all that. And as Gladys said, you know, humor is a fantastic thing. And if if somebody from Nigeria or from anywhere in Africa or from Bulamata can, can, you know, um, crack a joke <laughs> and everybody can have a crack, <laughs> right? Then, <laughs> you know, then it, it, shows, it shows how similar we are than, than, than how different we are. Um, the, the color of our skin, doesn't doesn't should not be um, what determines you know our, our relationships, but what determines it is actually the person and the people behind the person behind the person. Uh, and I guess if we all are allowed to represent ourselves as we are, um, we I think we enjoy the diversity that we have more so than uh, not. Um, I, I was going to add um, the the issue of um, being intentional in cultivating relationships. I remember when I was doing a particular course uh, many years ago, and one of the things I will do when I get to the train station, I will ensure because I did uh, I had a master's in international communication. So what I will do first is read the papers. So that by the time I get to college and they are having meaningful discussion, I'm able to contribute, you know. And I noticed I there was someone um, that I knew that would sit at the back of the class and not participate in any discussion. I would watch Father Ted to understand what happens in Craigie Island. So to connect, you know, so I would intentionally watch Irish program, not to lose my own identity, but to learn about, you know, how to have conversations, how to, I never liked tea until I got to Ireland. Now I drink tea like a banshee. I drink tea all the time. I have my tea. I'm the only person amongst my friends that will buy a cup of tea for 350. I, I just have changed for tea and coffee. And there was a particular course that I was, you know, at the end of um, the semester, we were asked, oh, what did you get? And what? And she actually failed this course. And the first thing she said was, these people are racist. And I said, why? She said uh, that the lecturer failed her. I said, why would the lecturer fail, give you an F and give me an A? You know, that is the same thing with uh, the dangers of a single story. 
if I had not been in that same space with this person, I would think, or maybe if I had not taken that course, that module at that particular time, I would assume that this particular person has this attitude towards, you know. So it's about being intentional. You know, we're not losing our identity by cultivating relationships and not try to isolate ourselves in our own communities because there's a danger in that as well. You know, because like you mentioned earlier, the fear, insecurity, it goes both ways. The host community doesn't understand the guest community. So there will be a clash of cultures until we learn to integrate and glean from each other's experiences and see that we share commonalities like there was a time i realized that the, the travelers in ireland have a common uh like i don't know if the right word is that they have um the kind of same history with the nomads in the northern part of nigeria so when i first encountered travelers that you know that was in those days anyway that they will move from place to place the nigerian nomads would be like that as well they had their horses the nigerian nomads who have their cattle you know, in sharing these stories, we know that we have the same experiences. It might be different. It might have happened differently. But there is a commonality between all of us. So we should be intentional about our relationships, cultivating relationships, and not, you know, there's no us and them. It's we. I completely agree. And I think the open-mindedness is should be a massive part of everyone going forward and kind of to avoid this single story, single narrative, as you mentioned, Emmanuel, um, to ensure that kind of everyone um, can see each other as people and all kind of have common experiences and not have avoid these biases that exist. Um, what do you currently think about the campaign that's going on against racism across the world at the moment. It's quite prevalent in, as you mentioned, Emmanuel, Black Lives Matter. Um, and obviously, I think you mentioned that it's completely different in different countries, but just kind of in general, maybe a bit closer to home, Ireland and Europe, what do you currently make of the, um, the campaign and the uh, kind of coverage that is happening at the moment? Um, Emmanuel, we'll start with you. So um, I, I, I use this opportunity to make an appeal. Um, why? Because I, I believe that context matters. Um, I believe that culture um, also matters. Um, and I, I am challenging my fellow um, Irish Black people to embrace this notion and to seek the Irish narrative. I'm not questioning that there are in challenges. What I'm saying is that they are unique challenges, they pertain to Ireland. And if we want to contribute to a, a better society, we need to have a better understanding of those challenges within this context and look for context-related solutions rather than superimpose solutions from elsewhere. Doing so would basically be inappropriate in social psychology, um, there's a lovely uh, writing from a gentleman called Heinrich. Um, and he talks a lot about um, collective brains and uh, a lot about you know, how the single brain is, 
is is basically then influenced by collective brains. Uh, and I think that um, people in Ireland um, um, have collective brains, collective brains that influence the way we think here. Okay, that is based on, in as much as we don't like to probably um, accept ba based on kinship models. Okay. Um, I, I would even contend that the Irish and the Africans are probably very close when it comes to kinship approaches <laughs> because um, family matters in Ireland and in most African communities, family matters. So they are, we're not you know, too far <laughs> away from each other when it comes to... I was surprised that there's, the, there's a proverb in, 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 in Ireland that um, the village raises the child. In almost every African setting is the same proverb the village raises the child and in Ireland it's the same I mean and most of my Irish friends I am surprised when there's a wedding and I get invited to the wedding my gosh the whole family is there <laughs> okay and I used to think oh this is only common to African settings no it's not um so I guess that we are very much shaped by those kind of collective brains family kinship people individually influencing the way we think now so I, 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 I'm a strong proponent. If you can get the collective brain thinking in the right way, the individual brain adapts. And when it adapts, then what happens is that you have a new collective brain, a new collective action that would definitely bring about the chain of desire. If we bring in notions that are developed by collective brains elsewhere, okay, we have no experience of those collective brains. We have no experience of their, their experiences and we can't relate. It's almost like a transfer of technology. Technology made in, in, in America, transferred into the rural setting in Africa, it's not gonna work, <laughs> okay? Similarly, you can't be superimposing stuff here. Um, it would be not the right fit. But it, it challenges us then, and it gives opportunity for us to investigate it a bit more and in depth and to find the Irish narrative. And when you re read the initial, you know, um, text that I shared, Africans are not black, you would notice that Kwesi does a very good job in presenting all kinds of movements. Thank God for movements, because movements kind of address, try to address the situation, they highlight and create awareness, you know. Um, however, there are movements that are essential that come out of context if we are critically going to look at them. Um, so we know because we have been, we have experienced it, the Black Lives Matter movement came as a consequence of a story, a story that took place in, in a setting that is foreign to us in Ireland, but we know of social media, media, all forms of media, gives us good understandings, but it doesn't make, a, make it our narrative, um, but it has, it has created awareness. It has, it has gotten people um, on the streets, you know, in, in, it has improved demands for social justice. It has improved demands for, for us to, to, to think again about some of our behaviors in the, in globally. Um, so essentially a positive, positive thing. However, um, again, um, borrowing from Chimamanda, a single story and looking at things from a single story could be very dangerous. I, I, I caution um, that I, I, I would like to, to I would like to um, to hear the Irish version. I like to have you know people like me 
um, you know, engaging with, with what it means to be Black in Ireland and, and doing so openly and without bias um, so that we have a chance of being able to unpack all those hidden truths that could actually help us um, along our journey. I think you're right in that it's so important to take context into consideration, but also to take something from the movement, even if it doesn't apply directly to our contexts. So like you were saying, just to start being aware of your behaviours or your actions and kind of having these conversations, I think it's important that people kind of take something from, uh, as you said, the Black Lives Matter movement, which might not directly be obviously stemmed from something that happened all the way in America, but it can there are things that we can learn from it and take from it and kind of change the way we behave kind of for the better. Um, Gladys, would you like to um, comment on that? Um, how do you follow up on a PhD's response to that question? <laughs> I only went as far as a master's and that was possibly, <laughs> you know, I'll give you um, a fellow comedian's response. Too. That's what I know. I can't quote those names that uh, Emmanuel was dropping those articles. Oh, sure. Dropping any one of those. You know, but there's this uh, a black Irish comedian on Facebook, and he did what if something like this happened in Ireland? How do, like, how will the Irish police, how do the Irish police relate to people? On the like when they stop vehicles for stop and search, there was such a huge difference. The the guard member of the guard will stop you, maybe in your local area, and you have a chat first about the pub. Probably you've even met in the pub on Saturday for lunch, you know. So there is a difference there in the interaction between the guard here in Ireland and the experience that people will have with the, the like the black person will have with. Uh, police in America. So that bounces back to what Emmanuel said. You can't use uh, what happens in one context and push it into another. It will not, that's like generalizing a solution. No, because our experiences are specific to us as a nation. We can't generalize strategies or generalize um, application of strategies. We have to find what works from us, from our own experience, from our own context. You know, so that's um, that's the only thing that I have to say. You know, it has, strategies has to be uh, context related based on individual experiences. 100%, I agree. Thanks, Gladys. Yeah, so um, have there been any revelations or discoveries of late regarding Black history that have particularly surprised you or made you proud? I'm glad this you want to start so that you won't say you can't follow up after a PhD's response. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, all I know is um, I am loving what is happening in the Irish space. We are seeing more um, diverse and inclusive um, identities or representation 
um, in the media, look at what is happening in sports. You see people from different communities doing amazing things in politics. We're seeing more representation and not just representation in communities. I remember the one I saw um, one of the political parties doing their rally in one of these counties and a black Irish person took one of the lead, um, what's a keynote speech. That speaks a lot. The picture, you know, when you say a picture speaks a thousand, is it a thousand, speaks a thousand languages or, you know, speaks volume. That was such a powerful picture for me. Seeing this a black Irish woman standing between th before thousands of people. That was a proud moment for me. And when you look at that young lady, you know, representing Ireland, and I saw there was this fashion show in uh, one of these countries and they were represented by, there was an African black uh, uh, Irish uh, boy representing Ireland. You know, seeing this uh, diverse representation in key spaces, it brings joy to my heart. The journey might be slow, but it is moving. And that encourages everyone. And uh, permit me to say, it's an honor hearing you speak, Emmanuel. It's a privilege, you know, hearing you speak. Seeing a representation in the academia, it brings pride, you know, to us that, you know, we, we count, we matter, we are doing something. We have, the beauty, the thing is, there is so much to offer. If only the Irish, you know, the community where we find ourselves will look, you know, be more inclusive in the workspaces. There is so much that all communities have to offer. We all have different flavor. I am strawberry, and I know, I think Emmanuel is banana flavor. Yeah. <laughs> but we bring, we bring all this flavor. We bring, yeah, we bring so much color. We bring flavor with our personality, with our skill set, you know, in everything. So I'm proud and, and I know that we still have a long way to go, but we're definitely doing something, you know, what's celebrating. Thank you very much, Gladys. Watch out for me as well. I'm cucumber flavor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wonderful. Emmanuel, you're next. <laughs> yeah. So, um, beg your pardon. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to kind of then kind of formulate what I want to say. Um, I think that on both sides, if <laughs> I hate to kind of make these distinctions, but I guess it's, it's time for us to realize that, and particularly as a consequence of globalization, we have indeed embraced the diversity that exists amongst us. For some very strange reason, um, our taste buds have embraced the diversity. Everybody loves coffee, okay? And the coffee beans are not grown in Ireland, all right? They grow somewhere else and they harvested somewhere else, but we all enjoy the coffee. Um, you know, tea is grown somewhere else and everybody drinks tea here. A lot of other things have been embraced you know, either side has embraced something. And so there is already an embracing of diversity. Now, when it comes to the most important element of it all, which is a human being, we seem to struggle. Um, and, you know, it has different reasons. However, I guess that 
what it requires is it is rethinking and realizing that in actual fact, in as much as our, our taste buds can embrace this foreign taste that is called coffee, <laughs> we can also embrace each other and our diversities and our differences. And it actually enriches us. And I think that it is important. It is it's important that we kind of change those perceptions, that we stop thinking about the differences and think about the coffee. It's good taste that it can actually <laughs> resonate or kind of create in our mouths in the sense of, you know, is it possible that we can actually, by being open-minded, you know, enjoy each other and enjoy each other's cultures and enjoy each other's, um, you know, ways of life and all that kind of stuff. But it requires, again, as I said, it requires open-mindedness. Um, what is happening in Ireland, as Gladys said, I think um, it is interesting. It is an opportunity. It, it is it's worth looking at, worth studying, um, worth documenting. I, I am always chuffed at the idea of seeing you know, um, somebody who doesn't look um, typical representing Ireland. I, I am, you know, I mean, and indeed, probably the person doesn't look Irish, but whatever virtues, whatever competences and capabilities the person has that it, they are using to represent Ireland is Irish. All the, all the wonderful athletes. Um, I used to be an athlete, so I followed that quite a bit. Oh, wonderful Irish athletes who are representing, you know, a mixture of white and black and Irish and non-Irish descent, you know. Um, but a lot of it is the training and the hard work and the provisions that Ireland gives to them. They are a product of Irishness or what is in Ireland. And, and it's a pity if we, we want to point at them and consider them different to what we in Ireland have produced. I, uh, I find it unfortunate if that is the case, but I think we need to own, own what belongs to us, regardless of what it looks like. Um, I, I, I kind of um, sometimes have fun when I go into the shop and it says made in Ireland. And I'm beginning to think, well, wonderful, but it was made in Ireland, grown in Ireland, but the supply chains for producing that came from somewhere else. So um, I guess I, I can rest my case. I think I know you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Emmanuel. I'm glad this has been a very educative session with the both of you. I'm sure my colleague will agree with me. It's been a wonderful time and our audience will gain a lot listening to this. So thank you so much once again. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to, you know, maintaining this good relationship between members of Ulysses Neuroscience and the both of you. If we ever need anything, any other thing from you, clarifications, questions and all that. Um, in conclusion... Black History Month is an extremely important celebration, which provides the opportunity for us all to actively learn about the richness of the culture and history of Africans. As the father of Black history, Hatha Woodson said, if a race has no history, it has no worldwide tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world and it stands in danger of being exterminated. We encourage everyone to take the time this month to actively participate by learning about the history, culture, and traditions of the Blacks, having meaningful conversations to hear stories from a different perspective and celebrate both publicly and internally.
These actions should also not just be limited to one month of the year, but should be common practice all year round, helping to promote equality among people of all colors. Once again, I would like to thank Emmanuel and Gladys for taking the time to speak to us today about the very important celebration that is Black History Month. And thank you to Russ for co-hosting with me today. 